You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Luis, is the Donor Growth Podcast competing for market share? Did you read my mind? I was just going to ask you about the brutal competition in the nonprofit fundraising podcast arena, because you're our numbers <laughs> guy. You know where our stats are. And I'm sure that if somebody listens to this, we're taking away from all those lesser, you know, less virtuous podcasts out there. There is no way that people can listen to more than one fundraising podcast. There just isn't. So if they're listening to Donor Growth, Surely, a lot of other podcasts, including my other podcast, the Build Good Fundraising podcast, is losing listeners. You're cannibalizing on yourself. What am I doing? I'm eating myself. <laughs> well, intentionally, we're going to have a very short episode today because we want to give you time to go out there and listen to other podcasts, including yeah. Mike's. So we'll make this a 20-minute pod. So, so that you can allocate your hour of podcast listening time and, and listen to other fundraising podcasts. I like it. It has nothing to do with the fact that in 20 minutes, we both have a hard stop because we have another meeting. Totally not. But anyhow, there is this pervasive comment, Mike, you've sent this to me. I think by now, people who listen to the podcast know that we're constantly texting. You've sent me stuff like, do you agree with this? This idea that people have a philanthropy budget and that if a nonprofit is more impactful, more more impactful, nicer, I don't know, grovels more, they'll get more of it and that that pie is as big as it is. And we feel that's pretty wrong. At least you do, right? I mean, it crops up in, in even in the language that, that we use around this, you often see this, hey, you're competing for market share. You're competing for donor dollars. And even that language signals a, a pretty clear sort of way of thinking that this is a marketplace in the first place, and that somehow we're in competition with other people, and there's only so much to go around. And so if you don't stand out and get those dollars, somebody else is going to get those dollars, and you're never going to get them. So th that's where it comes from. So a lot of people say your nonprofit is competing for market share. So you need to do everything you can to stand out, to, to differentiate yourself, to position yourself differently in the marketplace. That's how you're going to, quote unquote, win. But is that really true? That's what we're going to unpack in 20 minutes or less. Yeah. Well, in 20 minutes or less, let's start with the market share example. So, you know, how many cars can a regular family have, right? I think that's a kind of a fixed buy, even though not really, right? But most families are going to have two cars and... You know, and they're just when they buy them, they bought they bought them. You know, and then the all the people who are selling cars need to wait until that family's in the market for another car. A little, How a little is, bit, but but that family is also family's also having kids, so kids are going to need cars. And then the transportation sector in the first place is expanding, so now we're selling electric scooters on top of cars, and we're selling bikes, we're selling e-bikes. So we're not just if, even in an example like that. It's even then there isn't necessarily this super fixed market share. There might be other ways of still, you know, doing something in a transportation space for that family. And their needs might change over time as well. That's 
That's profound. And that's why I think every company is kind of turning into a nonprofit. But yeah, explain this concept a little bit more. So if there isn't a fixed pie, what is the opposite of a fixed pie? And how does what, what implications does that have for fundraising? Well, the fixed pie idea and the market share idea has some assumptions baked in. One is that giving to charity is like buying a product or service like a car. And mm -hmm. we know that it's not. We know from lots of research that actually philanthropy engages a completely different part of the brain than commercial purchases do. So just from a neuroscience perspective, we know that that's not true. Like a different part of the brain lights up. It's actually the part of the brain that is more associated with family and with relationships. And that's one of the, one of the reasons we use familial words in fundraising a lot versus commercial language. So, so we already know that it's not like buying a product or service. And we already know that if you treat a donor like a consumer, that's the kind of relationship you should expect to have. But if you treat them like a friend or like a helper or, or like a citizen, great book out there called Citizens, which is all about the differentiation between consumer and citizens, you know, you set a different expectation of the relationship. So that's one. Number two is it assumes that our competition is other nonprofits. So first, it assumes that it's like buying a product or service. Number two, it assumes that we're competing against other nonprofits. And maybe we might not be. Maybe we are competing against inaction in the first place, like not giving in the first place, or using that money for selfish purchases like jewelry or like going to Walmart or, or like just saving more money for your kids because you don't know if you're going to need it, right? And then we're also assuming that we're competing in the first place, that this is a competition and that donors see it as a competition and that donors have a fixed pie in their own mind. And I'm only going to give $500 or $5,000 to charity this year. Even if something moves me, even if, even if I had a life-changing experience, even if whatever, even if a friend asks me, I'm going to be like, no, I'm sorry. I have allocated my entire budget of philanthropic giving this year already. And these three nonprofits won the competition. And so they have received those funds. Please come again next year. That's it's just funny not because I was thinking, I was thinking of Spock and you started speaking with a British accent, <laughs> but so <laughs> we had a little bit of dissonance there, but anyhow, anybody who has spent five minutes with donors may have heard those exact words that Mike just said, and then seen how donors totally ignored what they just told you. And because they felt that there was a greater impact to be had, or because they felt more connected to somewhere else, suddenly put another charity in their in their will, and that's two million dollars. So yeah, or or all of a sudden their grandkid went to camp or to some sort of year long program and is fundraising for it, and all of a sudden they get involved there, or all of a sudden a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, or you know things change, life changes. It's everything is very dynamic. So just to assume that there's this fixed pie. And also to assume that people won't consider sacrificial giving, even if they have a budget. Mm -hmm. During COVID, this happened a lot. Some people gave a lot more than they otherwise would have because they felt like, no, I'm blessed. I've got quite a bit in the 401k. I think I can give more during this time when others are, are so impacted and affected. I think I can sacrifice more. I think I can give more. I can stretch my giving. I can stretch myself. And I might even feel very good about that. Yeah. So there you go. Huge exception to that. But still people even... So some of the comments that originated 
our idea for this podcast happened way after COVID. So like even when reality hits you in the face, some this is an idea that's just very sticky. I mean, it's very appealing to some groups. And I see this in board meetings and I, I see it brought up a, a whole lot. I mean, and also I think a counter argument to this fixed buy marketplace idea is that actually philanthropy is a relatively small part of many people's budgets, you know, and they could very easily increase their giving 10 times without feeling it in the least. So that makes me think it must be a function of something else, not comparing us to other nonprofits. Right. Now, hey, I'm fully aware of my level of privilege by saying this, but if you told me today, can you increase your philanthropic giving by two? I could. I, I could. And I don't know if I would feel it. Could you? Could I increase it by three or four or five? Probably. I probably could. And listen, if something happened and it was very meaningful, I might. I might even do that. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm at a stage in my life where I can, where I could, you know, sort of hit that major donor status by any means. But for myself, I could make more major gifts compared to our income in our budget. And I would actually consider that. That's just a bit anecdotal, but a lot of us could give a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up a good point, which is, that the marketplace, the fixed pie approach, way of thinking of things is a little bit mechanistic and it's reducing people to kind of, I don't know, just like very primary inputs. It's kind of dehumanizing. And the approach that we're talking about is the opposite. We're actually respecting the sanctity of human choice and human Mm -hmm. potential, no, in a way. So this is also why philosophically I feel that it rubs, it's kind of a polemic topic. It, you know, it can rub people different ways. The last thing before we go into some alternatives, maybe, or, or a different way of thinking about it, the last thing I want to mention, and it's a little bit adjacent to this way of thinking. If we say we're competing for market share and the way to win is to have a better value proposition and clearer differentiation, how that works itself out practically is often in marketing, which is our message needs to change. The way we are publicly positioned needs to change. The way we talk about our organization and how we go about it needs to change. And that is often just a crutch. It's something that, you know, a big rebrand is something we can point to and say, we have more clearly differentiated ourselves. We have a we fresher a brand. research. Yeah, we paid a lot of dollars for lots of surveys. Yep. Yeah. New website, new this, new that, better way of talking about us about us. And nowhere in that discussion have we actually been like, hey, what if a way to stand out is to grow closer to donors? Well, or I mean just external audiences, right? Or I mean yeah. you know, sometimes even closer to each other internally, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. Because so we use it as a crutch, right? The the reason we're not quote unquote winning, and I'm using air quotes because you know, I, even that way of talking about it doesn't make a ton of sense. It comes from this flawed mindset that we, we think is flawed. I'm not objectively saying it's flawed. We Our point of view is that it's a flawed mindset, but it's just this crutch that you can lean on. In the meantime, there's things you could be doing that don't come from this scarcity mindset, that come from a like a, an abundance mindset to actually meaningfully maybe grow the pie, Not if not overall, then for yourself. For your own order. And because we just have 20 minutes today, we might refer you to the other 58 episodes. 
of this podcast or some ideas on how to do that. But I, I had summarized it. Mike, you tell me what you think, but I had summarized it just by saying that it's a function, like giving is usually a function of how engaged people are. I know you have different ways of explaining this, but that's a very often overlooked aspect. I mean, you don't see, it's really hard to like get the data out of CRMs. Just our whole world isn't orientated toward that relationship depth. So, yeah. So instead of doing stuff to your positioning, maybe do more stuff with donors. Oh, stop. Our next episode is going to be five minutes long. <laughs> and that's all we're going to say. Just do more stuff. <laughs> do more stuff together. Please, folks, yeah. do it for yourself and do it for the world. That's that's about it. Yeah. So maybe helpful reframe. Instead of thinking, how can we stand out from other nonprofits? Maybe you can think, how can we stand in more in the lives of our donors? I don't know if that grammatically makes sense, standing in the lives of our donors, but let's go with it. Instead of how can we stand out from others, what if we think about how can we stand in more in the lives of our donors? So then we focus on donors, not competition, and there isn't competition in the first place. Mike, you said be a marketing brand consultant. (laughs) It was amazing. Maybe we'll end it with this. If we do this well, like, you know, that thing about like a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh huh. So even instead of being in competition with others, what if we just like encourage philanthropy across the board, whether it's to our org or not? Because the more people give, the more it normalizes the, the behavior of giving and of giving to charity. And, and maybe we all win in the end. Okay, folks, call to action. Everybody get off this pod, go find your favorite charity, make a gift, even if it's a small one. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.